all, and welcome to the Literary Baptists. Uh, I'm Lee, once again joined by my fellow co-hosts, Zach, Nick, and Maddie. How are you all doing this this fine evening? Fantastic. Same. <laughs> I'll third it. Excellent. We have a quorum. we've returned after our inaugural episode of the of the first chapter of the silmarillion which uh was a lot of fun i think at least for me i I had a great time uh and so uh so we're we're gonna plot on to the next section the vala quinta and again i we, we said it last time but i love how short these chapters are (laughs) <laughs> you know, again, like we we said, you know, people talk about how hard it is to read the Silmarillion. Like, you need what? I, I needed 15 minutes of quiet, and I read the whole chapter. That's not hard. It's not yeah. like Lord of the Rings. They're right? short. Yeah, they're very short. Uh, and I, I I appreciate that uh, very much. So, uh, so this so this chapter is is kind of broken up into three sections. So. Uh, of the Valar is the biggest section, and then uh, of the Maiar, uh, which we haven't talked about yet, uh, and then of the enemies. Very ominous. Yes, what does the fox say? <laughs> Chaos <laughs> reigns. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's Morgoth's little messenger. <laughs> His angry elf. <laughs> yes, love it. Uh, one of the one of the things on my reading this time, I don't know if this struck you guys, but I had never, I don't know that I'd paid that much attention to the actual heading of the Valaquenta, where it says account of the Valar and Maiar according to the lore of the Eldar. And it was like, oh, well, yeah, of course. Like, who who are the ones that are going to be telling this story, right? It's going to be elves, you know. Uh, and I, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I thought that, like, secondary, you know, level of authorship was kind of interesting. Because yeah, we know it's Tolkien giving us this, and it's a story. But, like, this is being told from the perspective of the elves. It allows you to... Uh, retain some of that like majesty that you would not get from just a straight up third party telling or, or just a you know straight third person telling <clears throat> and so it it having it through that filter allows you to say like okay this is just the surface it's not the fullness of what these uh-huh. basically well I guess we're men, so we're supposed to call them gods, but maybe we can call them like <laughs> super angels or something. <laughs> super angels. Yeah, I enjoyed that, like, that little note. They are kind of archangelish, though. I mean, I would, I think they fit more under like archangel <laughs> type uh, division rather than like gods. Yeah, he he's kind of got the Norse mythology thing kind of poking through there in that moment. <laughs> uh, because like obviously there are there are multiple there's lots of gods in the in the Norse mytholo- mythological tradition, but some are more powerful than others, you know, or and, and have different roles. Mm-hmm. But, uh, they feel very angelly to me. 
Well, and I think it's interesting that it says that men have often called them gods. So it kind of gives you the idea that that's not the right way to think of them, but that mm -hmm. that was the view that the men took of their role. And so if you hear someone from the race of men talking about the gods, oh, they're talking about the Valar. Yeah. Or or Valier <laughs> for the ladies. <laughs> that was a new thing I hadn't noticed before either, because it said, uh, um, "Oh gosh, I'm, now I'm trying to find the section where it where it said that." Uh, it's right at yeah. the end of the oh, of okay. the Valar. Okay. Mm -hmm. It says these are the names of the Valar and the Va the Valier, and here is told yeah. in brief their likenesses, um, such as I the thought it was Eldar beheld them. It's gendered. It's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And there are only two. There's only two. Yep. There are no queer Valar. <laughs> <laughs> Take that post-modernity. <laughs> <laughs> Even these guys, they can put on whatever raiment they want, and they're still yep. in a binary. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Almost so like they were created male gonna... and female. That's right. Eru <laughs> knew what he was doing, man. Uh, I'm I'm just going to briefly read off the names of the Valar just to make sure none get left out in our in our conversation. Uh, so, uh, at the very beginning of the of the Valar section uh, in the first paragraph, it says the names of the lords in due order are Manwe, Ulmo, Aule, Orome, Mandos, Lorien, and Tulkas, and the names of the queens are Varda, Yavana, Niena, Este. Vire, Vana, and Nessa. And then, of course, we have one very glaring omission from that list, uh, which would be Melkor, who is no longer counted among the Valar, and his name is not spoken upon Earth. Very ominous way to kind of cast him truly into the void. Because he does go by a title. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's where that, that Morgoth comes from. Um, that's really more of a title for him. So he, his proper name as a Valar really is not spoken on Earth. I don't even think by his followers. That's something I've never actually looked into before, but, you know, he is known kind of hereafter as Morgoth. Be interesting well, the elves would have to know the elves his real name because yeah. that's what this source because is supposed world. to be. <laughs> Can we really trust the elves, though? Um, <laughs> They won't speak it, but they'll write it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of these Valar, man, uh, we'll, we'll go around the room. Which which Valar is your favorite, or or Valley Valier? Uh, which one of the lords or queens is your favorite, Maddie? Why don't you start? Well, <laughs> I definitely really like Arome. Um. <clears throat> For Ob's reasons, I'm a horse girl. So uh, I think you really like Naharm the most. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm thankful that my the uh, whole trans movement wasn't going on when I was a kid because my parents probably would have got my hands and feet removed and replaced with hooves because I liked horses <laughs> so much. <laughs> so she wants to be a horse. We'll let her be a horse, dog. Yeah. Got it? 
Yeah, I was all about that. Like, <laughs> I was all about it. So, thanks, mom and dad. I still have hands. Um, but really, I hair like a mane instead of actual <laughs> human hair. <laughs> like, I could, I could neigh, I could gallop. I was in it, man. I was in it. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, still love horses. He's got a horse. He's got a pretty sweet horse. Um, yeah. and then also yeah. the trees, like his love of trees and like the forests and, um, he's a man or not a man, but a valor of horses and hounds. So I'm all about that. I got lots of dogs too. So I just get them, but I also really like Ale a lot. So, and I don't really understand why I do, but I just like, man, I just like him. Pretty cool. Uh, do you have a desire for metalworks or uh... <laughs> that's why I don't think I, I, don't, I don't understand why I like him but I think I get his heart like he's really trying to like you know put his work in and then later of course with the dwarves spoiler alert I think that's really what I I liked that story I love the dwarves mm -hmm. so I, I, I'm going to assume because because you like Alley and, and identify with him that you must desire to make things of your own that should be new and unthought of by others and delight in the praise of your skill yeah, I like being original. <laughs> OG. OG. <laughs> Nick, how about you? Who who's uh who's a Valar after your own heart? Mandos. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm gonna go with that. that. That's how I pronounce it. I don't know if it's right or not. Not so much the dead thing. Um <laughs> I know that that's like his thing. My last name is Graves, so <laughs> It's fitting, man. You need to go all yeah. in. But but I like that he's he knows everything. Like if if you know how sometimes people say, well, what kind of superpower would you like to have? If I could just know things, that would probably be one that I would choose. And so I like that he just knows things. Um and the idea of kind of being a, a the the one who's carrying out these judgments, that seems pretty fun. I would do that. Uh, so I guess I do like dead people and stuff too. So it's all about the death, you know, for me. <laughs> Going I think that's going to be the like episode my high title. school era. <laughs> it's not concerning at all. No, don't be concerned. Uh, I was an emo kid in high school, so it, it makes sense. Just lingering. <laughs> I guess that, that, ex of... that explains the black eyeshadow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I imagine <laughs> Mandos has like this the the studded black belt in the black fingernails and the the emo haircut. Yeah. He's Club straight out of 2003. Be <laughs> 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 uh, so great. Uh, Zach, what uh, what do you think? Who's who's the one that? stands out to you um it's it's funny to me it's uh focus i think just because he's just like yeah, yeah i'm just a dude bro and no I'm, <laughs> I'm just hanging out I'm just here to have fun and kick some tail focus <laughs> no. reminds me of chug norris like yeah. that's that's like who i envisioned Absolutely. when i read him the chuck norris of the valar yeah. His weapons are his hands. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing and wrestling seems fun. Yes. 
laughs in the face of even Melkor. And that's yeah, that's true because I think there's it, it's recounted at least somewhere that that when they have a face off and like Melkor is like kind of scared uh, deeply by his kind of his joy of facing him, you know, like for for a guy who uh, kind of in, you know enjoys people being afraid of him and kind of avoiding him you know, or, or being intimidated by him. And then tool costs us up here, like cracking his knuckles. Let's go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. I, I kind of, in his section too, I thought it was kind of funny. It, it's almost kind of a, like a backhanded compliment, but uh, it's said of tool costs. He, he is of no avail as a counselor, but is a hearty friend. <laughs> right. So, so he's like the, the dwarves of the Valar. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, like you, you don't like, want to go ask him it for anything, but he'll fight with you. <laughs> it's like just Leroy like Jenkins, hardy. yeah, Leroy Jenkins, <laughs> least I have chicken. <laughs> like the sort of, or or like a barbarian, right? In the fantasy stories, if you read any Dungeons and Dragons novels or anything like that. Like one of the one of the barbarians, just he's got a a tankard in one hand and a sword in the other, or something, you know. Except he doesn't use weapons, but you know what I mean. That's so sweet. <laughs> you know that he kind of he's one of the ones that kind of stands out to me as like this is kind of a weird Vala, you know, because he's not really associated with a natural element you know or something like that like like you know uh being associated with stars or with trees or uh, things like that like he's associated with force like power and prowess i guess he's or the just patron like, saint of boxing oh that would be dope greco-roman style wrestling imagine like like, like numenorian boys. yes <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, you know how like the the elves have like a hymn to Elbereth, you know, like it's recounted in in uh, Lord of the Rings in Fellowship of the Ring where it's being sung. I could imagine like uh, Numenorean boxers having a little like chant to <laughs> to Tulkas before they before they hit the octagon. That'd be pretty sweet. I think that'd be awesome. Yes. In my head canon, that happens. Maybe we'll see that in the next episode of Rings of Power. <sighs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> Anything would be better than what they're doing right now. I'll take it. Let the stranger be Tom Bombadil. I wish it were the final, final episode. <laughs> then you wouldn't have as much left to hate. No, that's true. I'd have to channel it into other things that could be dangerous. <laughs> For what it's worth, my my Valar is Ulmo. I think I already played that card last episode, but I I, I just dig Ulmo and his like Middle Earth centeredness. Like he's so driven just to just to we're we're working for Middle Earth here, you know. Where I, I think maybe he might be the most passionate about the children of Lubitar. Because he's like literally everything he does uh, is, is for the good of of the children and, and for the good of Middle Earth. I just think he's just a super Chad man. 
We've got to do it for the kids. Got to do it for the kids, man. <laughs> for the children. For the children. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's just like big big granddaddy in the water, man. He's great. <laughs> he's just looking out for everybody. He's the best. That's how I'm going to think of him from now on. Big granddaddy in the water. <laughs> Well, even like, like in the, Louisiana, <laughs> that could be like some local <laughs> myth, you know, or something. That could be cool. Like yeah. some people have Bigfoot or the, uh, um, what, what was it? The, the skunk the, ape. Skunk <laughs> ape. Skunk. I was gonna. Skunk I was gonna say sand he's, ape. No, he <laughs> smells bad. They call him skunk <laughs> ape. <laughs> That must be this one is, of the fell beasts that Arome yeah. is out there oh, hunting. Definitely. It's the one Arome missed, the one that got away. Yeah. yeah. Have you I know this is completely off topic, but have you heard the 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 I forget the guy, the famous comedian who did like one liners and he's he's uh he's he's dead now, but uh he did a one liner about Bigfoot and he's like, you know, my idea about Bigfoot is He's blurry. We're all getting good pictures of him. He's just blurry. <laughs> yeah, Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg. That's who it was. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's one of my favorite jokes of all time. Yes. He's just blurry. We all chose male Vala as our as our favorites. But you know, there are ladies too, after all. One of the things that makes me uh makes me think uh, especially when it comes to the to the valar is like so most of them are married or, or at least presented as being married so there's a husband and wife obviously uh ulmo isn't married and neither is niana um and i think those are interesting cases perhaps as to why but um but i set so them up actually they're going to be meeting uh, for dinner <laughs> next week so fingers crossed maybe maybe all of them will be together pretty soon SadWaterBabies. yeah the water is about to get really sad <laughs> i can't wait for that tears just, yeah just just tears it's good yeah the, the ocean is just going to be so huge now with all those tears of pity yeah. filling it up uh, so the, these husband-wife combinations. Do you think there there is a um, a reasoned uh, complement between the elements of these husband and wife vala marriages? I, I kind of think that there might be. I don't. I don't think Tolkien never did anything by accident. He's he was pretty meticulous. But you know, so for Monway. You know who's sort of lord of the heirs. Let's say for an, ex an example here, and then his wife is Varda, Lady of the Stars. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of they're they're complement like they complement each other, uh, just even in over the elements that they're kind of lord or lady over. To go together. Yeah, they're up there. Well I thought what was interesting is that they like he says with Monwe and Varda is that when they're together, like their abilities are stronger. So um, he can see further than all other eyes if he's with her and she can hear more clearly. Um, mm -hmm. 
don't know. It's cool. It seems kind of an interesting complementarian principle at play, whether consciously or unconsciously on Tolkien's part. But now sometimes yeah. some Vala have difficult marriages, but I think probably I'd say Monway and Varda get a get along, you know. Yeah, it certainly seems like their abilities or whatever seem like they're fairly well paired, you know, kind of is like a natural association <clears throat> for most of them. So and I think a lot of I mean it's really hard not to hear a lot of like Greek mythology in this. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely harkens a lot to the Greek pantheon for sure. But it is interesting you don't have any um multiple wives thing happening here like you would find in the pantheon yeah they're monogamous mm-hmm. very backward and transgressive <laughs> <laughs> they do have like relationships but non-romantic ones because i remember one of them um like it'll mention that uh the tree is connected to Manway in the air and Olmo in the ground. And, and so there, there are connections, even if they're not romantic ones, if the Greeks went away mm-hmm. with that, I think this one's more like friendship sometimes almost, or just hanging out, <laughs> learning <laughs> from the water, uh, that kind of thing. Well, yeah. Cause at least, at least Manway and Melkor <clears throat> are kind of cast as being brothers. And and uh, mm-hmm. a couple of the of the queens are sisters as well, so there's there's familial as well as kind of marriage or or, or partnership type connections at play too, uh, which certainly I'm sure plays a part in that as well. Yeah, and you see a lot of that later on with like the trees and different things like that as well. Because of my uh, my my Ulmo thing. There was a line that really stuck out to me when I was reading this uh, in the chapter. Obviously, we talk about Monway and Varda first, and then it gets to Ulmo, uh, which I think we're kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like we're going in terms of stronger or perhaps more prominent to the lesser prominent uh, as we go through. And so Ulmo would be, I guess, kind of second, second or third. Um, and there was something where it said about his voice. Uh, Ulmo's voice is deep as the deeps of the ocean, which he only has seen. And and I was kind of thinking about that because as as far as I could remember, he's the only one that has like a reference to his voice made. And we talked last time about how the music of the Ainur was heard the deepest in the waters of, of middle earth. And I was, I don't know. I was just curious if you guys had any, any thoughts about this particular mention of Ulmo's voice? Because uh, I was almost wondering if it was a reflection of the voice of Eru, kind of speaking through the through the music. I don't know. Maybe I was thinking too much about it. He does have a horn too, so he so does uh, Orame. Yes, I mean horns are great, and and there's a lot of talk about him making noise. So, but is it musical? Um, yeah, I guess some of it is, but I think a lot of that has to do with just water being so <laughs> transient, just moves around so much. Uh, and I think uh, it even says Ulmo is just constantly moving. He doesn't want to stay on the land. He doesn't stay in one spot long. Um, 
I think that's a, a huge part of his deals that transience. He's he just moves around a lot, and noise is kind of in a way like that. Um, you know, you you make a noise, and there's music can go up and down and over, and so I think it's it's pretty similar to that. Although it probably is connected to the music in the the water um, from the Ino Lindule as well. I think it must be. It's uh, you know, though it's it says here the those to whom the music comes hear it ever after in their hearts and longing for the sea never leaves them again. It's something that they they never forget. They never forget the music, and it creates in them something deeper and a longing. I think that that's pretty true of the sea anyway, in general. Like people who've never seen the ocean, they go and they see it, and they're like, oh, "Wow!" You know, it's like. It's amazing. They they want to they want to see it again. They want to hear. It. They want to know more. It's and some people are terrified, right? Um, and I think that that's also true of <laughs> it's true of Maddie. Yeah, but either way, you have a sense of awe about it. Like this is bigger than I am and it's deeper and it's powerful, much like the music that created everything. Yeah. I'm curious, like it's been a little while since I've read it, but was it Legolas who was like, had the longing for the sea, like in the end of the books? I can't remember. I felt like towards the end, he kept having this like longing for the sea every time, mm-hmm. ever since he had seen it. Maybe it wasn't him, but yeah. Cause he had never seen it before. Cause he lived in the woods. Yeah. yeah. Um, Almost it kind of awoke something in him, which I think might have been why he was so eager to to then get on uh, the ships at the Great Havens when the time came too. After after exploring more of Middle Earth with Gimli, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely because nor- normally his kind didn't sail to Valinor, right? <laughs> right. They 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 would just live out their lives in Middle Earth. Uh, the more the Quendi. Yeah, um, there's definitely that theme like throughout. Uh, just his writings of the sea calling and I just I thought that was interesting I don't I didn't know if that was kind of like him implying just kind of that longing to sail you know like because I think a lot of times when you read stuff there's that kind of sailors you know love of the open seas and you kind of get that in a lot of books I obviously do not relate to that whatsoever I'm not terrified, but I'm not like desperate to go get on a boat in the ocean. But there is that uh, a lot in literature and and song, mm-hmm. and so you definitely get a lot of that throughout his writing. In addition to reading this uh, for for this show, <clears throat> I've been reading uh, Unfinished Tales as well. And talk this talking about the sea stuff is reminding me of of one of the tales in there about uh, Aldarian, who would be uh, a prince of Numenor, who's just obsessed with boats and with sailing and was crisscrossing the ocean going back and forth to middle earth to find timber and build better and better ships and it basically like tanks his chances of getting married everybody's pressuring him like you've got to get married and he like wants to but he still wants to sail and he's gone for years on end and it's just like at some point his dad the king tells him oh well he's gotten engaged and he said you know you can't you can't marry two women, you know, either choose the your, the woman or the sea. You can't have both. 
and mm-hmm. he really like in the, in the story he really has to kind of search deep within himself you know who who am i going to pledge myself to um and so that that longing longing for the sea that, that we're talking about really reminded me of that because um, that that's definitely a numenorian trait is uh is seafaring the sea is always right the sea's my- <laughs> <laughs> Zach, go touch the darkness, okay? <laughs> I, I already did. <laughs> That's why I have all this light around me. Uh, so, so rudely, I skipped directly to Umo. But did you guys have any any comments you wanted to make about Monway or or Varda, aka Elbereth? I didn't I, I didn't want to give them short shrift because they are so important. It, in a way, they're they're almost boring. Like they're like the Superman of this thing. Like when you talk about Justice League, like Superman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's why Batman was always my favorite comic book character because like there's so much to his character. Like yeah, maybe he doesn't have superpowers, but man, he's an interesting, he's an interesting person. And Superman never was. I mean, I liked Superman, but like as a as a complex character, he just didn't have it quite as much for me. And I that's kind of how I feel about Monway and. And maybe Elbreth to a certain degree, but the coolest thing about Monway is them eagles, man. Yeah. I'm obsessed with the eagles. I was going to say, that makes, like, if you read this and you understand Monway's connection to the eagles and all those people, <clears throat> Josh, out there that, you know, criticize the eagles showing up, you know, at last minute, like, why didn't they just yeah. send the eagles before this or whatever? Like, you know, that's Monway sending the eagles mm-hmm. kind of in dire need. Um, yeah. So it's definitely important to understand where the eagles are coming from. Yeah, the, they're they're the not an Uber. Eagles. They're not Middle Earth's Uber. <laughs> they're, right. they're not a taxi. Uh, they are, you know, quite literally a, the deus ex machina. Uh, like God, like a god literally sends the eagles to to solve the, the problem. That's not that shouldn't be embarrassing. I know people have used that as like a, you know, a. Uh, criticism of lord of the rings like oh he just you know it's so in so many different plot lines there's a deus ex machina type device but I mean, there is a god of middle earth so that's the, it's it's part of the world it's part of the plot that that's not a criticism like that's just part of it you know right, right. it's not blind chance and you see provision you know aru through monway providing provision yeah, we, you know, we're not, we're not, uh, we're, we're supernaturalists. Uh, we're not, we're not naturalists. So I, I think this makes sense to us because that's just as, as Christians, that's who we are. Like we understand how God's providence works. Uh, we, we certainly confess his providence. Um, and, and, and I know we've all, we've all seen it, seen his providence at work in our own lives and in lives of people we know. So that's not, it's not something that I would criticize in a, in a work of fiction as well. One developed by a Christian, like it would be weird if some element of providence wasn't involved in the story, you know? And, and the characters don't count on them either. Just like we wouldn't count on, you know, God sending an angel to keep you from flying out of your car. Cause you didn't wear a seatbelt. It's kind of the same concept. Yeah. But you don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Step out in faith, okay? (laughs) Go up to the tallest building and jump (laughs) off and an angel will catch you. (laughs) Okay. 
<laughs> I saw that on a, on a uh, on an inspirational calendar quote. Yeah, it was it was a Bible verse. <laughs> it's in the Bible, man. Believe it. Yeah. <laughs> also, there's some bad advice in Job. I could really uh, encourage you to <laughs> to, wow. to take too. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of there's like a pastor in Africa or something that was like he could walk on water. And he walked out and like got eaten by a bunch of crocodiles. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Oh my gosh. That's Providence. I didn't yeah. see that in the long ending of Mark. <laughs> uh, could we say that uh, Varda is the reason that Melkor touched the darkness? <sighs> <sighs> It's her fault. She. It was the woman, Lord. <laughs> now it all makes sense. She rejected him, and he hated her. He began with the desire of light, and when he could not possess it for himself alone, he descended to darkness. I mean... It, it's in the text. I, I think, yeah, I, I think that's you got it. And it's back to that secret thing too that you mentioned last time, Nick, about like a whole central thing about Melkor is like going off in secret and doing his works that no one else can can see. Like he wanted the light for himself, not for anybody else. He was going to take it for his own. What a fatal flaw! That selfishness and and heart, taking all of his power to serve his own ends. So I'm curious, like kind of in that strain, it's kind of scary to go in. It's like maybe heretic bill, but <laughs> where the Valar are called the, ch- the children of Iluvatar's thought. And so yeah. each of them have like a trait of Iluvatar. So what is it in Melkor that what trait of Eru does he have? Is it, because like you think of like the Bible saying that God is a jealous God, mm-hmm. but God being jealous isn't a sin because he deserves all of it. All of it is his. Whereas you see in, in Melkor kind of a that corruption of jealousy and, and pride and selfishness is bad because none of it is his. I just playing that out. Hopefully I'm not a heretic. I have two ideas, but I want to see if anybody else has anything first. Let's hear those ideas. Okay. Yeah. All right. I I think I think Maddie's right and not a heretic. Just for the record. <laughs> Thank you. Phew. You have been affirmed. Let's see what Lisa. The, count, the council has spoken. <laughs> you're you're not a heretic. Well, we women, you know, we can be easily deceived. So <laughs> don't eat any apples, okay? I'll try not. To. <laughs> I, I think I think there's two ways that that kind of Melkor has twisted something from Eru. And then I think one of them is, is Eru's ultimate power, uh, like his absolute sovereignty over, over his creation of Arda. Um, Melkor was given the most power of all the Valar. Uh, I don't think that was an accident by, by Eru in any way. Like he was the, the most powerful single Valar. Um, it's, it's said that in multiple places. And then also, Eru's, I'm going to say like Eru's core purpose in the creation of Arda wasn't just to create Arda. It was to create the children of Iluvatar. And so through the, through the Vala, 
he was creating a place for his own his own people his his highest creation to live and i think a little bit of that kind of rests in the um in the sinful heart of melkor well you know not that it's ever said in the text this way but i could see him saying this well eru gets to have the two the two ch- children why can't i have something of my own why am i serving his ends why can't i have my own project and and i think uh, you know, we'll talk about Ale in a little bit, but I think Ale has a little bit of that too, um, but but still um, defaults back into the greater mission and not his own. Um, but Melkor doesn't. He he fully turns inward and and serves himself using his his great power, um, and and totally uh, um, r- takes takes the power that that Eru has given him and and uh, turns it for evil. I don't know that that's my theory. Am I a heretic? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. I'll I'll see myself out. Thank you. My stake awaits. <laughs> kind of sp- speaking of Ale, then, since since he's already gotten a name drop, uh, what do you guys think of that idea of kind of an Ale Melkor crossover pipeline type thing? Do you see a relationship between the two in any way? Just in their desires to create, uh, one obviously corrupted. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ale, I think, is focused outward while Melkor is focused inward. The smith and master of all crafts. In some ways, they're also opposites. Um, so yes, Melkor has a desire to create, but he wants to be the creator. Mm-hmm. And so when Aule creates something, Melkor comes to destroy it. He doesn't want other mm-hmm. people. He doesn't want to do this in, in a group. He doesn't want to do it um, with anyone's direction. He wants to be the only one. Um, whereas Aule is, is able to work with others and, um, and, and work towards actually constructing something uh, and fixing and repairing what Melkor's trying to destroy because he he's i mean going back he's jealous he he mm-hmm. does not want other people creating great things he wants to be the only one in that way they're they are a little bit opposite because he's also a destroyer as well as a, a, an attempted creator i enjoyed uh, in this section about about Ale the the call out of the noldor which is a little bit uh anachronistic at this point um, but so the Noldor are one faction of the elves at this point in history, the elves haven't even woken up yet. Um, so they don't, they don't exist in Arda yet, but the Noldor, uh, which are a very troubled <laughs> clan of elves in a lot of ways, it said the Noldor learned most of him and he was ever their friend. And so like, it's, it's funny cause like all elves, um, have reverence for Elbereth, uh, Varda, Lady of the Stars, but then this particular group of of Noldor, who are the greatest Elvish craftsmen, right? That's that's the line that Feanor comes from, who makes the Silmarils. That's the line that Celebrimbor comes from, who forges rings of power, um, and, and 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 of course uh, Galadriel comes from from this line as well. The real Galadriel, not not Guy Galadriel, who lives in the Amazon. 
the, the true and, and greater Galadriel. Probably not a greater swimmer, though. Probably not a greater swimmer. She, she's a very impressive swimmer, this Amazon Galadriel. Yeah. Who I've never heard of a single living being ever ever crossing the the sundering sea by hand. <laughs> of course, who who gets banished to Valinor anyway? You've done so great. I'm gonna send you to heaven. Like what? <laughs> what kind of plot device is this? That sounds fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> I would love to go. Lee, do you think going to heaven is a punishment? No, but Amazon treated it that way. <laughs> well, she had things to do, okay? She had things to do. Her to-do list was her not time. all crossed off. She's yeah. like yeah. tall, guys. There's a tempest in her. The tempest had to be quieted. <laughs> and what... Honestly, what can what can quiet a tempest more than the significance of the passage of time? She needed a few thousand years more uh, of time to, to quiet that tempest. Her, her and her apparently potentially dead husband, who they should have already had a child by now. But that's beside the point. <laughs> Maybe it was Ulmo helping her, you know, swim across the sea there. We don't know. They missed an amazing opportunity to name check another Vala. Like by yeah. by the grace of Umo, she made it to that little flotsam ship that Sauron was on, or I mean, Halbrand was on. <laughs> Do what I did there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Spoilers. Spoilers. I'm an evangelical leader. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Melkor a bit, uh, in this in this paragraph, it says, Melkor was jealous of Aule, for Aule was like himself in thought and in powers, which I think goes to what you were saying, Nick, that they were very similar. Uh, and there was long strife between them in which Melkor ever marred and undid the works of Aule, and then Aule would would fix them. He would repair the, tumult, the tumults and disorders of Melkor, uh, which I think is just, just superb writing. Like, let's fix his disorders. And then there will be more disorders. System but, of a down reference. System of a down. Thank you very much. In uh, some ways, that's also what we have to put up with, like on Earth now as Christians. Like mm-hmm. we can try to build, um, you know, institutions like denominations, and they, Satan and you know humans destroy them, mm-hmm. and so we have to build something new. I mean, that's. Part of the yeah. part of what happens with the things that we have built here, they get they tend to get destroyed, and we have to fix them. Um, so, it's a post mill yeah. worldview. Yeah. <laughs> now we're talking. I can't believe it's only episode two, and we've already gotten into eschatology. <laughs> this is great, you guys. <laughs> Exactly what I want I'm not do. saying that we necessarily will fix them better. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we no. rely on providence, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Providence. <laughs> Tear down the train station to put up a four-story building made of glass. Uh, then, yes. you know. Mm. Paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Yes, that's the same. <laughs> <laughs> Ale is the 
the god of parking lots. The god of parking lots. <laughs> that's pretty earthy. That's a Dark work of vault. skill unthought of by others. <laughs> We're going to park our mechanical steeds. Here, Allie's got an idea. He'd be creating the mechanical steeds, right? Yeah, really, he would. <clears throat> Ale remained faithful to Eru and submitted all that he did to his will. And I think there's there's your vital difference between the two. Uh, mm -hmm. And 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 we'll we'll see in the course of the of the story just how faithful Ale is, even in the times that he strayed, because uh, he does stray um, and he causes stress at least to his wife and probably to others as well. But, um, but it, in the end, he, he always uh, is, is faithful to Eru and in the work that they were given to do. You also see in him just kind of along those lines of kind of what Nick was saying that I see a lot of the echoes of like dominion. You know, when we're mm -hmm. talking about man having dominion, cause he's teaching the elves and then the men, those skills. And so you see a lot of that, you know, them sh learning to take of the earth and, and do things and make things and shape things. Whereas when Melkor does that, it's always for destruction. And um, Tolkien seems to think very strongly about a lot of that. The the good and bad pro-con uses of, of technology and, and in industry. There's an interesting pu push-pull between... Uh, Aule's uh, dominion uh, sphere, like you're saying, Maddie, and the preservationist uh, ideas of of his wife, too. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and I think that that's another, I think, complementary principle between the married Vala. Like we we have to have we have to have industry. You know, we have to build. There is a command to take dominion, but at the same time, we have to also be responsible with. Uh, the resources that that God's given us on the earth too, and um, and again, this is bringing me back again to Aldarian. Uh, he uh, so in the Second Age, you know, he's he's going and cutting down timber all over the place. But at the same time, he's he's basically planting two trees for every one that he cuts down, and so he actually never ends up deforesting Middle Earth or uh, or Numenor either. Uh, because of his program and he actually wins popularity among the people because he's industrious but not destructive uh, which has been the case in the past you're either industrious or you're destructive you know that's that's mm -hmm. kind of the story of well that's the story of sauron right uh, that's the story of, yeah. of saruman mm -hmm. at at isengard as well where you just rip down the trees for the fires of industry um and so i think striking that balance you're certainly in the will of, of Eru. And I think you see that uh, in the, in the marriage of, of uh, Ale and, and Yavanna. Yeah. You see that thread throughout so much of what Tolkien wrote. He loves trees. <laughs> I also love, love trees. trees. Trees are, are trees are great. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, professor. I didn't recognize you. My, my apologies. <laughs> wow. Your book is really good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't hug many trees, though. I just like to look at them. <laughs> and eat from them. Eat from fruit. Certain fruits. Certain fruits. Yeah, particular forbidden fruits. Well, I don't know. I heard it was going to give me a lot more knowledge and wisdom. 
She has Harfoot's hand uh, oversized <laughs> apples in slow motion to you. <laughs> you don't like Rings of Power, Lee, but you still watch it. I do. I, I, have to, I have to watch it so I can tell people why it's bad. <laughs> this is an act of service to others, the fact that I'm watching this show. Thank you so like, much. It's like all those discernment ministries. Yeah. We have to endure the, the horrible sermons so we can explain to people what's horrible about them so they won't do that do it themselves. Yep. It's an act of service, man. It's so watching Rings of Power is like watching a Furtick sermon. It's it's about that level, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Error broke the law for love. <laughs> <laughs> Mon- Monway can't override your unbelief. Galadriel I am Eru Illuminar. <laughs> oh, that's so good. We need to monetize that. Yeah. It's excellent. It's on our next t shirt. <laughs> I am Eru Illuminar. Another thing I'd forgotten and was reminded of this this category, the Feyan Turi, the Masters of Spirits, which refers to Mandos and Lorien. I had kind of forgotten about that category, but so I guess that's kind of their element is like the the other people get trees and rocks and stars and they get spirits. I think that's super cool. Yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, I guess. Which I am. <laughs> you're in, you're into being judgy. <laughs> Nick is in the spirits. I'm into judging people, death. Yeah, I mean all those things. Those are huge on me. So, Dis- uh, which spirits distilled or yes, or, uh, yes. The, the more distilled, the better. <laughs> well, I so I know you you already waxed poetic about. Uh, about Mandos, which is interesting. So, like, Mandos isn't necessarily his name. It's almost a, t- a title for him based on kind of where he he reigns. So, like, Namo is his actual name, but everybody just knows him as, oh, he's the Mandos guy. They know him by his works, by his fruits. Is that, like, the same as Hades? Because Hades... Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I don't know that he has another name, though. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, think of that. Wasn't there another guy, uh, Kronos? I'm so that's in my- that's earlier. That's um, okay. That's one Greek, of those, right? Well, it's Greek, but it's before. They're both Greek, but he's one of the before the gods came on. I forget what they're called. Titans, Titans, the Titans, Titans. Yeah, yeah. so he's okay. one of them. Uh, and then I think he's Uranus in Roman. Um, <laughs> I could be wrong on that. <laughs> Uh, going back to Mandos, my I am boy. twelve years old. Yes, <laughs> I am younger. <laughs> I pronounced it a certain way. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't change anything. <laughs> it's up here, man. It's, it's in my attic. <laughs> in your attic. <laughs> Speaking of people with big attics full of stuff. <laughs> uh, You're so good at this, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I am I'm I'm a little bit confused about Mandos and his wife very very um do they control time does she it sounds like everything is like she's like a fate that's determining what actually happens and it's some of these things maybe i'm just looking at this too rationally but that doesn't make any sense they they Uh, i i think they they have crafted and maintain Eru's corridor of time. Okay. I think that's what they do. See that—that's one of those things. Is kind of just a—it's not something that we would think about or uh, attach to a personality, or even attach to something that's necessary. That time would need that. Um, but she's weaving things in, and then she gets these big tapestries and fills these halls that are always growing. Um, and I, I, well, I mean, constantly growing halls. That's pretty cool too, with history tapestries lining the place. Another reason why he's my boy, because um, his wife is the best. You know, she controls time, sort of, or manages time. Yeah, at least really well documents it, if nothing else. Yeah, that's what it seems like to me. Is that I mean, it says that. Mondo's he doesn't forget anything so he remembers the song and how like and everything that was shown to them how it's going to play out so he Mm. knows that's going to happen and then she's it seems to me like she's like recording so she's a historian yeah as it's going she's weaving as it's done it's almost like they're in a museum oh man maybe that's why (laughs) you identify with them so much (laughs) (laughs) they are a museum every day (laughs) mando's halls is a museum (laughs) yeah museum of the dead museum of the dead yes i mean it's still an emo museum (laughs) 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 lots of shadows in those pictures and yeah uh, People looking away, looking down. I I do. I like the webs, the storied web. Gosh, I think that's super interesting. And like kind of a uh, uh, an arachne type uh, thing as well. Uh, Kind of reflection of 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 arachne too. Um, She's like the one kind of like spidery aspected character who's not evil. Yeah, all the other ones are. Yeah. Spiders are bad guys. Of course, spiders, they always are. They're always the bad guys. That's why Charlotte's Web is deplorable. Never make a spider the good guy. (laughs) Don't read your children Charlotte's Web. It should be banned. Wow. (laughs) Just finished reading that one to the kids. It's a strong opinion on Charlotte's Web. (laughs) (laughs) So now we know that we can't trust you when you say don't watch Rings of Power. <laughs> See, not all my not all of my hot takes are are serious. They're all they're all a joke, but some of them are more serious than others, and this was not one of the more serious ones. I was in a play of Charles serious when I was in high school. Were serious as Mandos. What? <laughs> were you Wilbur? You, you were in a play? 
I was in a Shanky. I was in a play of Charlotte's Web. And Were you I played Wilbur? Temple I played Templeton the Rat. Oh, oh that makes sense. <laughs> I could choose so much scenery, you guys. It was great. <laughs> I loved that part. I had a fat suit. Ironically, the fat suit that I wore as as fat as the fat rat I looks like my body now. <laughs> <laughs> Like I became Fat Templeton. <laughs> I, I did see you gnawing at your chair. <laughs> Just a minute ago. Yeah, I'm Have, hungry. You've, you've seen the old animated movie, right? Oh yeah. Now, now I hear you as Templeton. <laughs> like, like, yeah, the voice is there, guys. I'll never forget the thing. He goes to the fair and he's like slobbering over all the great food at the fair and he goes and there's caramel candy (laughs) (laughs) that has always stuck in my mind that and chaos reigns Anyway, classic. So, in true, uh, um, in in true, uh, um, <laughs> uh, terrible. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm trying to come up with the right way to say it, but anyway, uh, 